This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry of the Cats Paws. Derek, how are you on this Monday? Doing well, Sean. Uh, another week. Pretty day outside. Still scheduled to play Alabama this weekend, although I guess there's still technically time for that to change. But we're operating as if that game's going to happen Saturday. Yeah, that, that's the that's the way I'm moving until we know something. There already is one game canceled for Saturday, though. Is it, whose, whose game was that? Did you see that, the SEC announced? Yes, Texas A&M and Ole Miss. Okay, so that's two straight weeks then that Texas A&M's not got to play. And that, that's kind of unfortunate because they're in a situation, Derek, where they're still in contention for the SEC, you know, an SEC championship game or at least the college football playoff. If they finish and run the table, they are. So yeah. that's uh, that's kind of a negative spot. I do want to bring up one thing before we really get into it. So I mentioned on the post game show Saturday that I heard some booze, and I think honestly it was just bad timing. So someone messaged me last night on Twitter, and supposedly right as that change was happening and Joey was walking onto the field, Kentucky's kicker turner went to take a knee on the return and got drilled by a Vandy player, and the fans were obviously booing. Oh. The hit, okay. so I didn't see the hit. I was looking at the sideline to see who was going in at quarterback, and I just thought, "Oh my God, why are they booing Joey Gatewood?" So that was just poor reporting on my part and speculation, like just about. I just I was like, I know I heard booze, and surely that wasn't what it was. So that actually makes sense. Yeah, that, that clears that up. Then I was gonna say I don't think people have thrown Joey away that quick. Where they, uh, <laughs> he'd only played that one game, but. You know, Sean, the only change of the depth chart this week while we're on the topic of quarterbacks, and it's not shocking, I guess, but that or that had been up there between Terry Wilson and Joey Gatewood now for a few weeks is gone. So probably no question that unless things go really, really poorly against Alabama, uh, I can't imagine anyone now at this point starting besides Terry. Only got now, and this is not what I would have said last week, but they only got now. I mean, unless they wanted to just play Bo for a game because – I'm firmly in the camp now that um, I'm sure there'll be a quarterback battle and everything next year they'll go through, but I'm to the point now, Sean, I'd be flat out stunned if Bo Allen's not the quarterback next season. I'm I'm to that point as well, and uh, Terry will finish the season unless there's an injury or something crazy happens. And before we get into some other things from Mark Stoops' Monday press conference and then some basketball talk as well, uh, well let's talk about the news that came out yesterday that we've kind of – been expecting to happen at some point, but we didn't know if it would happen during COVID-19 and everything. And Derek, and you've had strong thoughts on this from a Kentucky perspective that Will Muschamp is out at South Carolina. And yeah. honestly, honestly like 
it's it was better for everyone in the SEC East and Kentucky if Will Muschamp remained at South Carolina. I mean, who who thought that that was a good idea there? Anyhow, he had already you know fallen flat on his face at a program like Florida. He goes to South Carolina, takes the same offensive coordinator, which is the reason he got fired at Florida and started out slow there. And then this year has just been, I mean, three weeks ago, I picked them to pull an upset at LSU, and they've been absolutely awful ever since that game. And then Saturday night, couldn't defend anyone. So Muschamp is out. I guess just what are your thoughts on what that means? And if they, let's say they get Hugh Freeze or a guy that can go in there and sort of benefit from the geographical location of that i mean it's a warm weather state it's a very solid place for recruiting you saw steve spurrier do very well there uh i i guess in a sense it's it's a program to watch over the next few months to see exactly where they go with this it is i'm sure they'll want Hugh freeze i don't know what greg sankey the sec commissioner will have to say about that just given the amount of trouble he got in at old miss i think they they did step in because I believe Nick Saban wanted to hire Hugh Freeze as his offensive coordinator, and they shut that down. Now, perhaps it's different in a head coaching scenario, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if Freeze is – I'm sure he's the guy that all the fans probably want. Uh, I'd say Billy Napier is probably the guy to actually watch there, though. He is at Clemson for a long time. He's a head coach at Louisiana now. He's had a good run there, been at Alabama, been at Arizona State, so he knows how to build a program or has, has at least been around very successful head coaches who have built great programs. Um, he's a younger guy. I think he's maybe 41 or 42, something like that. That's who I would say. And obviously that hire absolutely has an effect on Kentucky because it's a division opponent, someone you're going to see every single year, and someone that I would say, some of the things you just mentioned, the geographical location, they just built a brand-new football facility I think they have a, a football only dorm like their facilities are, are pretty top-notch now with the right guy I think they have things going in their favor that Kentucky doesn't but not now I mean I think Kentucky's closed the gap enough to where you never have to be concerned that every single year you're going to lose to South Carolina I don't mean it like that but I'm not sure they're going to be in a spot that uh you would expect to win five in a row against a team like that but that's a team you need to beat you know on a regular basis. But then the other thing that probably is to watch, and that's why I tweeted last night, is their offensive line coach, Eric Walford, has ties to uh, has ties to Mark Stoops. And I know they've hired a temporary guy. Um, I don't know how to say his last name, honestly, Sean. Jeff Jagodinsky or something like that. Yeah. Matt Jones reported that a few days ago. I think that's just going to be temporary. So if you're looking for a potential offensive line candidate, I'm not saying it's going to happen. But he was with Mark Stoops for one year at Houston and then again for three years at Arizona. So I think he might be a guy to watch. Yeah, that's a good point. So, I mean, that that news, I too, it was surprising. That's really the first coaching, you know, firing that we've seen. Well, yeah. seen and everything. And I didn't think that it would happen when it did, but it looks like everybody's trying to kind of get a head start and see who they want. And I'm sure it is Hugh Freeze that's at the top of the chart for a lot of programs. I mean, I think they're going to be pulling the trigger early. Uh, but that'll be something to watch. Kentucky will play South Carolina as of right now, December 5th. will be the final game of the regular season. So they'll definitely – Will Muschamp will not be on the sidelines, you know, for that game, which is uh, kind of disappointing. I did, honestly, two three weeks ago, I thought he would probably survive this season, Derek. I think I read somewhere he's in – it's either $15 million or $21 million he's going to be making out of buyout money from South Carolina and Florida to not work. He's going to be making that much money. Well, so Will Muschamp has to figure it out. Whoever hires him next, if they hire him, I think that his run as a head coach is kind of going to be put on pause now, and I think he'll be a defensive coordinator for 
probably five or six years, honestly. And he and Derek, that's that's a role that he was really good in. So like that might be what's best for him right now is to go back and be a D coordinator. That's definitely a step down, but you there's no way an SEC school hires him again as a head coach. They're just like that's two schools in the same division that he's been fired from in this decade. It was a bad hire by South Carolina, and I don't know all the details. I can't really remember back to 2015 as to who else they considered. I think Kirby Smart might have been in there, but obviously Kirby was always waiting for that Georgia job. So I don't – from what I read, it kind of made it seem like they kind of had a pretty thin coaching list, and Muschamp was about as good as they could do at that time. But, you know, what he took over for at Florida, like he had talent under Urban Meyer, but even I think Urban eventually admitted that, like, the culture there was a disaster – when he left. So I'm not going to say that Muschamp had an easy job, but the talent you can accumulate at Florida was obviously much greater than what you're going to at South Carolina. And the rotting was probably always on the wall that this was going to one day happen, that he would be fired. He did have this second season, they won nine games. That was for sure the high point, but these past few years have been bad. And then for them to just, I think the last three games have been the worst in their whole history defensively yeah. in terms of points allowed. So and that, and that's what he's known for. And he's a defensive guy, so whenever that starts happening to you, that's uh, that's whenever you probably know that the end is near. So it's going to be Mike Bobo, who was at Georgia for a long time as an offensive coordinator. He was a head coach at Colorado State, so he'll be the interim uh, December 5th when they come to play Kentucky. So still not a game I would chalk up as a, as a win. You never know how those teams play <laughs> once they've had their coach fired. Yeah, and who, who knows what December 5th looks like. It'll be the first game at – I remember Kentucky football playing at home in December. Yeah. Uh, it, who knows? Maybe there's snow on the ground. I don't know. Kind of be kind of out of character for December 5th in Lexington. But who knows what happens? Uh, staying on the defensive topic, though, let's transition to Kentucky. Mark Stoops, Derek, was, he was pissed off about the way his defense played Saturday. And honestly, after he said that, I didn't feel so bad about my tweet saying that it was an embarrassing performance. There were there were a couple of people. It's like, well, the defense has carried them all year. Great, yeah. But there's been a couple of games where they let them down. Ole Miss was one of them, and then certainly Saturday, Derek. And you asked the question today, and it, it no no doubt it hurt them being able to get some of those younger guys some reps because the game was the score was too close. Yeah, I probably didn't phrase the question. Probably didn't come out the way I really wanted it to, but. Uh... He eventually gave an answer that I was good enough to use, though. But, yeah, I couldn't really get a feel for who exactly he was mad at on defense. Uh, if it was a certain group or just everybody in general, I don't know. Um, but that was definitely a, a rough performance. Vanderbilt hadn't scored more than 21 on anyone all season. And that was that was the number they were at whenever Kentucky started playing some younger guys. So, had the defense made some of those third down stops on the first half, Sean, and he's right, the way they were playing on offense, they could have built up a three or four touchdown lead potentially yeah. by midway through the third quarter. And you could have played Bo or not just Bo, but I mean anybody on offense, some of those young guys that only maybe got a few snaps. Instead, they maybe could have played 12, 15, something like that. And I think he is so aggravated because he knows if those opportunities do come, they're going to be coming in blowout losses most likely the next few weeks. I think it's Florida or Alabama. I mean, I don't think any of us envision a scenario. <laughs> Certainly, I mean, let's just be real. They're not going to be in a place where they're going to be up big on Florida or Alabama where they can play guys. So, And this is the situation where you're running into – you're missing those non-conference games against Toledo or against Murray State. That's where you're missing it now is because you, you see it in a 10-game SEC schedule. Regardless of who your opponent is, you can't force reps at any point. 
Like, it's just, it doesn't work that way. But if they would have had those games against Eastern Michigan and Eastern Illinois, you know, all these younger guys would have got some, some snaps and stuff, but they're not getting that. Uh, he definitely was upset, though, Derek, and he didn't hide it. Like, he, he said it three or four times, you know, that he was not happy. Uh, I, we'll just have to see what happens from here. Kentucky did have four people on the all-SEC weekly teams, which a lot of that is due to there were only three games played in the SEC Saturday, so there were a lot of games out. Chance Poor, Landon Young, uh, Jamin Davis, and who was the other one? There was a four, J.J. Weaver. Yeah. Well, those were the four. Uh, so two defensive guys, you know, got named, and he wasn't happy with his defense. Uh, that's the most I ever remember in a week, though, from Kentucky and weekly, or for really from anyone in SEC weekly honors. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've actually not even looked at that list. Uh, I was writing some stuff on Mac Jones after the press conference, so I didn't even. Uh... And it's really cool too. Let's say this about Landon Young. He wore John Schlarman's '65 jersey, and he was named SEC Offensive Lineman of the Week. I'm sure that that means a lot to him. Oh yeah. It absolutely does. Um, you know, I think today's a memorial over at uh, at the football facility at the funeral this morning, and the, the memorial's over there. So today, obviously, those players have struggled with it, but I'm sure anyone listening, I, I know anyone listening to this has been to a funeral, and that, that can be kind of the moment when it really sits in for you that someone's gone. So the grieving process is by no way, you know, I know there was a lot of emotion Saturday, but that is going to continue for a while. And uh, today will be another hard, hard time for those players to go there and be there to see their coach. I'm assuming, I'm just assuming the Memorial service will have his casket there and everything. Maybe I'm totally wrong on that, but I would think that's, that's a plan. And it's gonna be a hard day for him, Sean. I I don't know when they're practicing, if they're practicing, I guess they will, but I I don't know how that's going to work. I I just couldn't imagine going to that and then going out and practicing. Well, I don't know how you fit that in today. And Stoops also is scheduled for his uh, radio show tonight, 6 to 7 o'clock. So I don't even know where they fit in the practice time, Derek, unless it was this afternoon after Stoops' presser at noon. And I have no idea. Uh, It's just – it's a tough time right now. It's – I don't know if you got to watch – did you end up watching the feature on Chris Oates? Did you watch I haven't watched it yet. No, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't watched it. So I need just, to go check it out. It's just they, they've been through so much, Derek, and honestly just winning that game Saturday just felt like an accomplishment in itself, even though it was Vandy. It, does, it doesn't really matter who it was. It was hard enough to get out there and play. And and you, you could feel we felt it in the press box too. Like, you know, those of us, I mean, we didn't know John on the same level that those players know John, but – it was just a sad day. Like, I mean, it's just so sad. And how also, I mean, even though he was diagnosed two years ago, we we saw you and I talked about this at Tennessee. I, I brought it up to you at Tennessee. I said, you know, John doesn't look good, and everything. And I told you, I said, it's it's hard to mentally prepare to rot whenever that moment yeah. comes. And then it came three weeks later. And I mean, it, even though it was you've been expecting it at the same time, it doesn't make it any easier. And I can't imagine. Uh, what this team's going through and what the staff's going through. John Schlarman was there from day one of the Mark Stoops era, him and Vince Merrill. So when you think about someone in the press box, like uh, I'm just using one as an example. There could be other people, but John Clay, who covered John as a player, you know, 20-something years ago, then covered him for eight years as a coach, you know, seeing someone through all those stages and then passed away. I'm sure I did talk to John Clay Saturday, uh, but I'm sure that was uh, – or if he was even there. I don't remember if he was even at the game, but – I'm sure that had to be a hard thing for him. And, I, you know, that was open to the media today. I, I'm not going just because I don't feel like I had that kind of relationship with John. Yeah. I mean, he was very cordial, but not to the point where, uh, 
you know, that's a very intimate thing, and I don't feel like I I need to be there. But for someone like John Clay, who well, I'm just using him as an example, there could be other guys who are very close with John. I, I don't know that for sure, but. Well, somebody um, asked me if I was going, and I said, and I said the same thing. I said no, and plus I have something else that's going on that I couldn't get to Lexington today. But at the same time, you know, sure, I interviewed John. I was in interviews with him the last two to three years. But you know, given the pandemic and things, I, I don't think there needs to be another body there or another person there making it any more crowded than it already is. Especially when you know, I mean, I know Leanne uh, Keeley, and I both talked to Leanne. We met Leanne and stuff last year. Uh, Mark's wife actually introduced us. So, I mean, I know him, but at the same time, I didn't know him on the level that a lot of people do. And still, though, that doesn't mean that, you know, I'm not physically hurting over it, too, because it's just a sad loss, Derek. I mean, it's one of those things that it just it feels so weird. And like you said, it doesn't really set in for a lot of people until the funeral. And I'm sure it set in for a lot of those guys today. You could tell Mark Stoops was in his, when was in his suit today and stuff, and you could tell that it had been a rough morning. And... uh the grieving process, uh, it's messy. It's different in so many ways for so many people. And like I said, thoughts and prayers continue to be with their family, with this football team. It might be a deal for the football team, too, where it doesn't like – I mean, they're still going to have their mind on football for the next few weeks. But when that's over, especially for these coaches who won't have that daily grind, I mean, I think for them that might be when it really sets in when it things will. are much different. It will. But one more uh, comment I wanted to take away, Sean, uh, from the press conference – and this is something we all know. Mark Stoops is obviously a defensive guy. Those of us who, you know, typically in a normal year when you would actually be physically around Mark, like everything about him is happier whenever the defense plays well. Even if, like, I can remember those some of those games in 2014, or sorry, 2018, where they would win like 14-7, to I can spend her belt, or 20, uh, what it was, 15-14, I think, against Missouri. Yeah. Like that guy was much happier back then winning those kind of games than what he was the other day whenever they won. Somewhat of a shootout, I guess you could call it, thirty-eight to thirty-five. What do you what do you make of that in a era where it seems like teams that are going to be winning at the highest level? Like, look at Alabama's schedule, for example. And I'm sure Saban was pissed, but like they've won games this year, I think forty-one to twenty-four and sixty-three to forty-eight against Ole Miss. In an era where you're probably to win games against some of the really good teams, you're going to have to score. How do you just how does, did you think about that at all? I did because you could t- tell that he was visibly upset, and I think it was Vanderbilt that bothered him a little well, bit more. I don't. Know, I think but. I think too, and I think the fact that he wasn't able to get some guys reps that he wanted to, I think that plays into it as well. Um, I mean, if he, what? How's he feel if they win that game, sixty-three to thirty-five? Does he feel the same way? I mean, probably. And just because I mean he's a defensive guy, Derek. I like it. he's going to get ticked off every time they if they give up. And plus, they hadn't given up thirty points. You know, to well, other than Ole Miss and everything, but like, it's just wild that they played that poorly. And when you go back and watch the game, a lot of it was just undisciplined mistakes. Uh, Van Hiles, I don't know if you follow him or not. He does a lot of game breakdowns. Everything that he put up was literally just undisciplined mistakes. Like it didn't make sense why they made the the bad play that they did. Guys weren't where they needed to be in a position they needed to be. They weren't attacking the ball they way the way they needed to, which is concerning. And a lot of it was the secondary, which is a position that Van played. So uh, Van was very critical of him on those videos, if you all don't follow him and, and everything. But rightfully so, being a secondary guy. Well, you know, good news is you get an easier game this week, right? 
against Alabama. Doesn't get any easier than this. I think Kentucky's what a thirty-one point favorite. No, wait, no, thirty-one point underdog. Uh, no, for a, for a secondary that's struggling, you really couldn't pick two. The next two opponents probably have the two best passing offenses in the country. How how to? I was sitting there watching. I got to watch the last quarter of Florida Arkansas Saturday night, and. I think it finally just hit me how crazy this whole thing. And Kentucky's intertwined into that storyline because that's where Kyle Trask made his debut. Kyle Trask would probably still be on the sidelines at Florida if Felipe Franks hadn't got hurt in that game. Uh, he goes down, Kyle Trask comes in, and now he's probably he's he's moving his way towards the Heisman Trophy. And there they are on the field Saturday night, and I'm like, you know what, Florida fans, you can probably thank Kentucky for this because here you found Kyle Trask who fits that offense so much better than – Felipe Franks and Felipe Franks is not a bad quarterback. No, oh, he's had a good year. Uh, yeah, that's kind of the kind of two parts. Of what I'm going to say: one, it was it's funny in hindsight now because that night when Florida came back and beat Kentucky, everybody was like, "Oh, there it is again, the backup quarterback coming back and beating Kentucky." And then it turns out that this kid's like actually really good well, versus a scenario like Luke Del Rio, who really wasn't that good. Well, if he go wins the Heisman Trophy, I mean, it's Kentucky just the the school that. Backup quarterbacks come in and eventually win the Heisman Trophy. I mean, Lamar Jackson did it, and then you got yeah. Kyle Trask. Like, is this just a bad luck thing that Kentucky's had? Yeah, I mean, that's that's a good point. And think about this, too, with Kyle Trask. I feel like I've got a pretty good pulse on college football. I know a lot of the national stories. There have been some crazy stories over the year. I mean, Baker Mayfield going from a walk-on to eventually a Heisman Trophy winner and number one pick is a, a great football story. Kyle Trask didn't even start on his high school team was like a late addition to Florida's class, basically had offers from nobody, Didn't was behind several quarterbacks before he ever got his shot, and then he turned out to be this good. I just can't remember a time, because like usually a kid would transfer or something like that, and maybe they would go somewhere smaller. And if, let's just be honest, if you're really good at a smaller level, like maybe some people notice you, but you're not discussed about as much as he is. And he, I mean, he is a legitimately a great quarterback. And it's just a, an awesome story, really, that it's happened, but it's just I'm sure a lot of schools are wondering, and Kentucky included, like how how can we recruit all these like highly ranked quarterbacks? And none of them play as good as this kid who nobody knew about. Yeah, and maybe it's the system, maybe it's something else, but that's a kid who's probably going to be playing. Uh, he's going to get drafted. I mean, for sure. Yeah, because so, he slings it. I mean, he slings it all over the place. He's he's fun to watch. Uh, that game, by the way, is an ESPN game. Like it's it's nationally televised. A noon kick though, so Kentucky definitely uh, daytime. They've definitely been able to save some electricity this year because they've not had to have the lights on hardly at all. South Carolina uh, feels like a night game, though. Yeah, it will be. The last one of the year, it'll it'll be a night game. Uh, Derek, that, that pretty much covers you know most of the – pretty much everything on the football side of things. I don't think there's a whole lot more that we can get into today on that. We'll dive into it as we go through. But let's transition to Kentucky basketball. And this is a big week, Derek. The NBA draft, I actually forgot about it, is Wednesday. So we're going to have that to talk about and stuff this week. And then uh, Kentucky basketball had a scrimmage at Rupp Arena last night. The floor, by the way, we'll get into that topic too in just a minute because that I'm not big. You know, I've never hammered home the checkerboard on the jerseys and stuff, but that floor looks absolutely terrible, like those blue logos on it. And I have no idea. Have you seen it? Yeah, I saw it uh, tweeted out. I, I think people got way more upset about it than I ever bothered to give it much thought. But well, it's me. I'm the person that's upset about it way more than you are. Yeah, I mean, it's... Maybe it's my OCD and the fact that it um, does not actually, line up at all. Uh, sent to me. Yeah, you can go ahead. And let me find this text. Go ahead and say what you want about well, this floor. 
I'll give you an answer on what I heard from the Rep Arena people. Well, I just don't like it because, and honestly, the old logos were the same way. Like, one is, like, literally a step away from half court and two steps away from the sideline, and the other one is at the three-point line and a step away from the sideline, and it just messes with me in my OCD. Like, it's killing me. Like, every time I – like, if I have to look at that, it's going to kill me all year. But I didn't notice it with the old logos because there was nothing around it. But I know that they're waiting on a new floor, supposedly, right? Yeah, so this is from someone at UK who had some familiar. I don't know necessarily who it was, but they had some familiarity with what happened. And the quote I got was, the floor cannot be sanded another time or it would need to be replaced. The blue around the white lettering was necessary to extend the floor's life. We're up in UK, save money and jobs by not replacing the floor for a script logo. And and that makes sense, and I'll tell you why. Because I ended the whole you know middle school coaching middle school basketball thing, and every time we you know, sand the floor and all this, you're losing life of it. And it gets down to the point that you just you can't do it, but maybe one or two more times, or you have to have a new floor. I understand that. Uh, wonder how, I wonder how long that floor has been down, though. You have no idea. Because I know the checkerboard pattern on the baselines and stuff. I think the first year I remember that was 2016, but I think that could be. Cost. That's a good question. And plus, that floor, sure. we've seen that floor be taken up multiple times. I mean, it's yeah. a job that's done fairly quickly. And stuff, but so they just—it seems like they just covered up the old Rupp Arena logos there, didn't they? In the half court, and then just put the blue around. I think the blue around—it's what makes it look so bad, just because it stands out. Maybe I'll notice it more when it's actually on TV or there in person. But yeah, I'm gonna get, I'm gonna ask you next Wednesday when we do that recap of Moorhead. I'm gonna say you still uh, don't mind that floor there because I might miss the action going on and be looking at the blue around it. No, it. I believe it's nine days away. It's just. Seems like it's been a long time coming, and then again, it's kind of like sneaking up on us now. And we'll talk about some stuff from their scrimmage last night and some highlights that they posted on their Instagram page. But let's let's talk about the big news that came. You out. might be because I've not watched it, so you might be the one talking about that. <laughs> well, I will. I'll carry. I'll carry that part. But let's talk about this, Derek. This is the big news that came out today. So the NCAA is wanting to, or it sounds like it's going to happen, they're going to keep the NCAA tournament in one geographic area and targeted Indianapolis, the metropolitan area of Indianapolis. Uh, there's plenty of arenas there. You could you could host games at Butler. You could play games at the Indiana Pacers facility. You could. We know that you can play games in the Dome right there at Lucas Oil Stadium too. Uh, they also have the uh, Pacers practice facilities where the Nike EYBL is played. There's like eight courts in that building, so I'm assuming that could be a location. Uh, what do you think about that? Honestly, it feels like it's the right thing to do to cut out travel during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, but then again, too, like, sure, you're cutting out travel, but you still have, I guess what I'm trying to say is you still have multiple venues and stuff going on. So you're really not – you're technically in a bubble in a city, but you're not in a bubble, if that makes sense. It would be the quickest, most efficient way and safest way to ensure that an NCAA tournament gets played. Everything up to that point might kind of be a free-for-all, and it sounds like they're going to have Selection Sunday and then give it a few weeks, right, before they actually start this. To, to get let them double up. To bubble, you know, get acquainted, get everybody in there the way that in the NBA did it. Um it also seems like a way, like you just mentioned, all those kind of options for the venues, you could still have several teams. I don't know if you would – I don't know if the plan is still to have a full field, but it seems like it, it would be much more likely in a scenario like this in Indianapolis. And it's a deal where you could play it sooner. And I know part of the fun is that you have those three, four weeks, whatever, 
in March and April. That's basically all college basketball talk. But if you play the game every other day or every two days, I mean, you can play that pretty quick. And uh, teams that lose can, can go home, obviously. And it just seems like a safe way. And it's the smartest way. I mean, the NBA showed that it can work. If everybody follows the protocols, everybody does what they're supposed to do. They can ensure, if anything, I'm sure it's the biggest, it's for sure the biggest revenue maker for college basketball in the NCAA. It's a good way to get kind of the focus back on the sport. And uh, I don't. Do you think they'll even play conference tournaments this year? I don't see. On I don't. I don't see the point. Honestly, like I just think that it comes down. And, and not to flip this a crazy amount, but like. And we can go straight back to basketball, but like for football, Sean, I'm to the point. I'm not even sure if it makes sense to play bowl games this year. Uh, I no, mean, no. I just, unless you're unless you're one of those teams that's going to be playing for a title. Well, this is like when you bring up the conference tournament play. I see it as this. Sure, the NCAA tournament is all about Cinderella, right? It's all about Cinderella, and it's all about the Final Four when it comes down to it and who you're crowning as a champion. How often do you crown Cinderella? Like it doesn't happen, right? Like a couple of times here and there. NC State was a Cinderella team when they won it in the early '80s. Uh, that Villanova. was Villanova, um, but other than that, I'm I'm talking about the Hughes uh, Butler, yeah, or the the Tennessee Techs or the EKUs or you know those teams. Like, sure, getting them in there is cool, but this year it's just about getting the thing played, getting that revenue, get crowning a champion, and this is the only honestly, this is the only thing that makes sense right now. And the unfortunate thing is. These small towns or these areas that are going to be hosting the NCAA tournament in a normal year, they're losing revenue from it, and that that's unfortunate. I hate that. Like for certain areas of the country, like we like one the one year we went to Jacksonville and stuff and things like that. But and that that's the unfortunate side of it. But it's more important. You can't. There is no way, Derek, that they cannot play the NCAA tournament two straight years. Yeah, yeah. Especially, you know, it was unfortunate for basketball that it happened. You know, everything about this was all new to us, and it was happened to be at the time. Probably, I mean, there's never a good time for a pandemic, but in terms of college basketball, like when the sport is at its most visible stage and what people care about the most on a national scale is the tournament. And those were the unfortunate kids. But think about Keon Brooks. I mean, he would be a guy if they didn't get to play it this year. <laughs> His college experience, assuming he for, if he left or whatever he might do, then you would be – part of the only generation of college basketball players who played on good teams that never made an NCAA tournament because it was canceled both times. So I feel strongly now, well, I won't say strongly because it's still months away. Who knows what might happen? At least it seems like they have a plan, and it seems like a plan that should be able to work based on what we've seen other sports do. So that is good news. But I'm kind of to the point, too, with I think some conferences are starting to do it, some of the lower-level ones I saw. Um, maybe the South Southwest Conference or something like that. Um, one of the historically, I think the historically black, one of those conferences. And the thing that's what it is, like Alabama State, a team like that, so that's all. They're just going to play conference only. That's the point I'm getting at, is that yeah. some of these conferences are already going to where they're not even going to play non-conference. And, and if you're that, the, that might have been the best plan for the SEC, too. Well, and that's what I was going to say. Like, if you're the smaller conferences and stuff, what are you really getting out of playing non-conference games? I mean, you're just trying to win your conference, honestly, because that's probably what you're going to have to do to get into the NCAA tournament anyhow. Probably money, but I don't know if that's what's yeah, happening. Well, that's, that's a good point, too. Uh, Everybody is going to be suffering, you know, on that front and everything. But, I mean, as of right now, Derek, like you said, it's less than 10 days till Kentucky plays basketball. We'll have to see what happens 
uh, the next nine days. I mean, certainly we're in a we're in a worse time now with COVID nineteen than we were when we shut things down yeah. in the spring, and that's just the that's just the point that we're at in this thing, and we're just going to have to navigate this. Uh, it does feel like too that the basketball side of thing kind of just the worst thing that's happened is kind of we've had to put it off. And we kind of missed a window of opportunity there, even on, especially on the high school thing with KHSAA. We're still waiting to see exactly what comes of that. Uh, but certainly feels like that they missed a window of opportunity, you know, to play sooner. But then again, like, if you play sooner, then you have to take a pause. I don't know what's going to happen. I just hope that, you know, come April, uh, this thing gets played. It gets played safely. Everybody gets to play, and we see what it looks like. You mentioned Keon Brooks earlier, though, and I can tell you this. Uh, he It didn't look like he participated at all in the scrimmage that happened last night at Rupp Arena, at least not in the clip. He wasn't in the top ten, let's put it that way. So Kentucky ran a Watt team out there that included Devin Askew, Terrence Clark, B.J. Boston, Isaiah Jackson, and Olivier Saar. Even if Keon Brooks is healthy on the 25th, Derek, I still think Isaiah Jackson starts. I just think that they've fallen yeah. in love with what they've seen. I think they've had, and honestly, from a coaching perspective of it, when you've been running that lineup for so long, the entire preseason, that's the lineup you're going to go with, and you're going to work Keon back in more so than throw him into the fire at the four spot. And like I said on the last podcast, Keon's a guy who's used to coming off the bench anyway. I don't I don't worry about ego at all with Keon. I think he simply he understands it, and I, I totally agree with you. Um, actually, the only thing I saw, Sean, I didn't watch the highlights, but I did see Cal's tweets, and it sounded like Davion Mintz. Was he the only player that Cal pointed out? In his tweets, I thought he was. He was on the blue team. He was with, uh, so his team Basically included second, Jacob right? Toppin. His team included Jacob Toppin, uh, Lance Ware, uh, Dante Allen, and who was the other one? I'm for, oh Cameron Fletcher. Fletcher. Yeah. Yep, that was the five. I'm assuming the first five won that game. I'm like I'm assuming the lineup with Boston and Clark and uh, Sar. Uh, probably if that's the lineup they kept the entire time, and I'm sure they mix yeah. things up from time, you know, from time to time. But I will say this: they had five Instagram stories up, and Isaiah Jackson stood out a lot. Uh, he finished a lob in transition, and then he off a rebound. Terrence Clark got it, and Jackson did a rim run and was down the floor so fast and just crammed it. And I'm like, my goodness, this kid is going to be really good. Uh, I'm excited to watch them, though. I'm excited to see, you know, where they are on the 25th and then where they are by the time we get to SEC play, which will start right at a month after their first game. But they're not going to have a lot of games in between that. No, they're not. I mean, they play, what, 25th, 27th, 29th, and then well, I don't I don't know when it goes from that. But hopefully all those games get played. Um, what was I text you? I text you Saturday morning, the bench press things, didn't I? And I told you, I said, I'm stronger yeah. than two-thirds of the Kentucky men's basketball team. Now, I will say this, I may be stronger than probably 10 or 12 of them, but I can't <laughs> jump as high. I'm not as fast anymore. So they definitely have me beat. I understand why Cal didn't call me. Yeah. Those, uh, those numbers, I mean, they were – Pretty interesting. I mean, I don't. You might be able to tell people where they can. Was it on the UK basketball account? I think so. You can go find. They had a post. Yeah, you can find it on my Twitter too. I, I tweeted the, I retweeted the the screenshot or the images of it. They had some guys. I mean, like Dante Allen stands out just in terms of his wingspan. I think it was over seven foot. Very large hands. Just some of these guys. It's just kind of fascinating to look at those things. And, um, you know, I, 
seemed like did they post that the night of the pro day, or they waited until Saturday to do it. Because I thought they waited, and, it, and I just smacked my mic with <laughs> uh, with my small hand. And I was actually about to tell you about how big Dante Allen's hands are. So his hand length is ten point two five inches. Like, like what is that even a statistic? Like how? Like what? Uh, com- for comparison. Uh, Cameron Fletcher's hands are 7.75 inches. So Dante Allen just has a massive hand. Yeah. Yeah, he, he does. And uh, I, I don't have those numbers pulled up. But yeah, it's, it was uh, kind of a fascinating thing to look at. And I don't I don't know how much – I'm sure the NFL teams – I know you always hear about wingspan, things like that that those teams love. Um, whether or not Dante can play, I think he can. But none of us – he's not proven anything. Obviously, he was hurt. So this will be his first year to kind of prove things, but like he he might be someone who kind of catches the eye of people just on the measurements alone. Well, never mind. That's his hand length. His hand width is eleven point five inches. So he has a ten point two five inch hand in length and eleven point five inch hand in width. I've never had my hand length or width measured. Well, that might be what we need to do for future episodes: measure our hand and figure out. How big our hands are? Uh, I usually average uh, hand size. Yeah, that's true. Is is Dante Allen the next Rajon Rondo? Like, is that going to be? Maybe he'd be, be, uh, uh, be in one of the top percentiles. I'll tell you that much. There's probably not too many humans uh, with hands that large. But no. You know, is there anything, Sean? I guess now we're getting so close to basketball season. Kind of, what do you expect against Morehead State? Like, do you expect kind of a are you expecting a sloppy game, or are you going to say, okay, I mean, they got some veterans on this team. Assuming Keon's back, too. Then you'd have three guys, Mintz, Saar, and Brooks, who at least played in college. Would you expect a somewhat or somewhat smooth type of game against an opponent that you should beat pretty easily, or, or are you going to expect some some ugly play at times? Man, I wish I could give you on, – on, I have no idea what to say because typically we would have an exhibition or two, you know, under our belt or a blue-white game to, to see. Um I'm going to say that they I'm going to say they outperform what we think they'll do just given how much Cal's talked about this team in the preseason how much praise he's given them and uh from everybody else's perspective that's you know got to see them in person I think that they've honestly they've they've tackled this with a good approach even Cal talked about that in his tweet last night that they've taken it serious they've got down to business and they've done their job and I think they'll be okay. I do. Plus, I mean, you have to think the same about these other teams, too. In a normal year, Moorhead State probably comes in here prepared and everything, too. We don't, we really don't know what's going on with their program or where they've been and things like that. Everybody's dealing with the same thing this year, but just, uh, I guess, in different waves. We know at some point Kentucky's going to have a game canceled or postponed. That's just a given. Probably multiple games. I think that's the thing that I would preach to everyone that listens to this podcast you have a Kentucky basketball schedule, but this schedule is going to change a lot. Like, I yeah, think yeah. that you're going to see a lot of games flip. I think you could see games that's supposed to be played in January possibly be paid, played in February at some point. I don't know uh, exactly how it's going to look or how it's going to navigate. And I could also see non-conference states, Derek, if they lose one, it doesn't get made up. Like, that's just the way I look at it. Yeah, I mean, it's going to be a weird job of the committee that selects the teams. Which I believe Bench Barnhart's the chair of this year. I think yes. of the uh, so I don't really know kind of how they'll decide to do that. I mean, obviously some teams are gonna play more games than others. I, I guess I don't want to make any big predictions to how it gets played. I just football, to be honest with you, has gone smoother than I anticipated. 
because to this point, I mean, unless it's, and you never know, it can happen, it can change any day, but like they've made it through, they've played every game they were scheduled to play. One had to get flipped because of just the schedule with Missouri and Georgia, but they've still gotten to play those games. And if they can make it through the year, then I think that'll be a win for everybody. But basketball is a different animal. You're playing more games. You're playing uh, in closer time frames. You can play a game on a Tuesday or a Wednesday and then play again on Saturday. So Indoors. Indoors. And from what I saw, the way that they're doing the testing is I think they're only doing it once a week now, and it's going to go up to three once the season starts. So I just – with the contact tracing of basketball, I just – I don't know what the rules are going to be for that, but it just seems like you – it should just go south in a hurry, much more so than football might. Yeah, that's that's what I'm thinking too, uh, Derek. But you know, pretty much covers everything that you know to get ready for this week and everything with uh, the NBA draft. We'll have a lot on that. We'll talk about I believe madness this Friday too. Yeah, madness this Friday. So it's a huge week, uh, given you know Kentucky's football yeah. game, Alabama, and then everything else. It's also a huge week at the Butcher's Pub with two locations: one in Pineville, Kentucky; one in Williamsburg, Kentucky. Derek, they have a Philly cheesesteak that I'm going to try next. So I'm going to try that and see if I can plug that. It's a flat iron steak covered in Swiss cheese, topped with peppers, onions, and homemade Vladimir sauce. So that's uh, I think that's the next thing that I'm going to try in addition to the buffalo chicken sandwich that they have there. So be ready for me to plug the Philly cheesesteak on the next episode of Kentucky Daily. I'm going to need a butcher's pub to come to Lexington, or at least somewhere closer to central Kentucky. And I'm going to need a diet when all this is over with because – I'm probably going to gain 30 pounds from the Butcher's Pub alone. But you can visit thebutcherspub.com or check them out on Facebook for more daily specials. Uh, He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll be back with more on Kentucky Daily this week. Nobody builds 5G like Verizon builds 5G. Because we're the engineers who built the most reliable network in America. And the more you do with 5G, the more building it right matters. The more your network matters. The more Verizon engineers going the extra mile matters. It's us pushing us. It's Verizon versus Verizon. 5G built right from America's most reliable network. Most reliable based on rankings from Metrics second half 2020 U.S. report of three mobile networks. Results may vary. Award is not an endorsement.